0: I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors, Producers Wealth. If you're interested to set up your infinite banking policy correctly and have access to a coach that will help you use your infinite banking strategy to grow your business and your investment portfolio and having your capital work in more than one place simultaneously, and protect your capital from market downturns, taxes, predators, and creditors. You can watch a presentation of exactly how you can do this at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. The world is going through changes. Changes happening at a speed that we have never seen before. This is leading to disruption, chaos, panic, panic, Fear, hysteria, and a turbulent economy and marketplace. How do you protect your wealth in a turbulent world? How do you invest for cash flow and alternative assets to escape the rat race in times of uncertainty? How do you decentralize yourself, your family, your community, your business, and your investments to become sovereign and escape the matrix? If you are looking for strategies, tactics, and techniques, escape the rat race and matrix, you are in the right place. My name is MC Lobsher and this is Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobshire Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Cashflow Ninja. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at cashflowninja.com. That's cashflowninja.com. And we've also launched uh, our mastermind, my inner circle, cash flow nirvana. If you're a business owner and an investor that's looking to protect and build wealth uh during turbulent times, cash flow nirvana is for you. I, I've been just blessed and super impressed with the the just the caliber of folks that are already part of Cashflow Nirvana. If you want to join business owners and investors that are uh, part of a community protecting and building wealth during turbulent times, go to CashflowNinja.com forward slash Nirvana. That's CashflowNinja.com forward slash Nirvana. I've got a fantastic show for you today. I'm, I'm joined by Jason Bolin um, uh, from the hard money bankers. And uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, uh, including private
1: lending. Jason, it's great to see you. You too, MC. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I've enjoyed all of our conversations outside of this podcast. So I've been looking forward to to having you on the show. Uh, for folks that are not familiar with you and what you do, can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with them?
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely. So I started hard money bankers in 2007. Uh, if you've never heard of the term "hard money" before, it might be a you know it might be something that you smirk or you laugh about. But in essence, hard money is just you know we lend money on hard assets. We lend money on investment, residential, and commercial real estate. So early two thousands, uh, I you know was was dabbling with a lot of stuff inside real estate, mortgage broker, real estate agent, things like that. I was working at this this mortgage company at the time. And they were doing mostly conventional homeowner stuff, things like that. And I remember there was an opportunity that we looked at it and I brought it to the owners of the company and I said, hey, I can't get this deal through to any lender. And he goes, let me take a look at that. And it was a low LTV deal. And he was like, you know what? We'll fund that in-house. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, we'll just, you know, we have a pool of investors, some of our own capital. We'll just lend on this property ourselves. And I was like, you can do that? And he was like, sure. We're just the lender, just like the bank. So, you know, this was earlier on, um, but- you know, I wouldn't, you know, these days it's hard to get uh, owner occupied <laughs> uh, private loans done, but back then it, it it was easier. They had to sign documents and stuff like that. But in essence, they charged 13, 14, 15% plus a few points. And, you know, they lent out a hundred thousand dollars and darn near made probably 20% on that capital uh, over, over the year. And it was, it was an interesting concept. And I, and I, and I loved kind of the, the private sector of, of capital. So, you know, fast forward a few years, we dabbled with uh rental properties and fix and flips and on residential and stuff like that. And I realized I was not a good operator of real estate. I don't, you know, some people are really passionate about real estate. They like, I love the architecture, I love going into properties yep. and seeing the start to the finish. That wasn't me. I like getting kind of a check at the end of the day. I didn't like getting my hands dirty on that side, but I I realized I did like the finance side of it and I did like the the kind of the lending component of it. So my business partner, Chris Haddon and I uh, started Hard Money Bankers in, in 07. So right when things were a little bit shaky in 07, and we were in our you know late 20s at the time, and we had to go out there, raise a lot of capital <laughs> for deals. We had to go find opportunities. And, and one interesting fact that I think a lot of folks uh, don't realize is it's actually a lot easier to find capital and to raise capital than potentially finding good deals and opportunities over and over and over. And that was, the, that was the spot we were in because when we started, we were like, hey, we know everybody. I was a mortgage broker. I know all these real estate investors I know all these real estate agents. We'll just find lots and lots of deals, um, but we don't have access to capital. So what are we going to do? And in essence, it kind of worked backwards. Like we'd go and we'd set out meetings with investor capital. And surprisingly, they're like, yeah, go bring me a good opportunity and, you know, pay me a double digit rate of return. I'm happy to be involved. I'm happy to to fund. And, you know, and unfortunately, it wasn't as easy as that, you know, when we dug into some of these opportunities that we thought we had, they weren't as strong as they really were. But it was kind of a good learning, learning tool back then. What was that like starting
0: this type of business in 2007, 2008? And because that, I mean, liquidity dried
1: up. So it was you know, actually a great time for private money on the flip side, right? Yeah, that that's right. And we didn't know any better. We were just ambitious, you know, 26-year-olds or 27-year-olds that were hungry to, to start a business. Um, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have any job at that point. I mean, I was in between kind of the mortgage company I was working for, Folded. Um, at that point, Chris was still working at a bank and I was like, like, I just want to go all in on this and let's, let's grind on this. This is also pre kids. So it made it a little bit easier. Um, but you know, every day we kind of hustled and you know, there's not much content on this particular niche right now. There was zero content back then. So it was, and, and everybody who were private lenders back then, there was no institutional money in that space at all. Anyone who was private lenders were older guys, mostly, mostly males, 60 years old and plus, and it was just their own capital. And they were lending to fix and flippers and real estate uh, agent or real estate investors locally. And a lot of it was kind of networking with them and be like, Hey, you know, how does this work? Things like that. And, you know, it, it was slow and, steady i would say like it started it started slow but like you know our first year we closed 17 loans like 14 15 17 loans something like that that was 2008 cuz we started in 2007 uh, another funny story we didn't even have a website or a brand or an llc or a bank account set up when we started and yeah. we closed our we closed our first loan we're like okay cool like we need a name and stuff like that we put it under a different entity and then we use that entity money as a capital contribution to start Hard money bankers <laughs>
0: It, yeah, I mean, it's just, it. If you if you think back during that time, and even before two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, right, when I started my my real estate journey in two thousand and one, it's just interesting how I wouldn't say things have changed, but there's a different perception about a lot of stuff because you think hard money two thousand and one, you're thinking like it's hard, and if you don't pay it, <laughs> you get know, yeah. Some somebody's coming to, to hurt a That's knee right. of yours, right? You're going to have That's some. Right. You, you might end up in the hospital. Um, so it was really hard money back then, and then you have private money, and then these days it's kind of like you know, kind of put put together, right? And it all depends about uh, on the deal, obviously the right and the risk involved to the lender and so forth of 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 the terms. But it's just interesting to see. You know, and, and this by the way has happened in so many real estate niches. You know, another one that comes to mind right off the bat is the um mobile home park community space and like what do they call it now, manufactured homes and yeah. and so forth, where I remember in the early two thousands when you looked at mobile home parks, for example, it was like, hey, everybody was thinking cousin Eddie from the Griswold, you know, movies, That's basically, right? right? And now they're like really nice. Um, I mean, it's now a completely different world. So it's kind of the same in that space too. But it was a, it was a crazy time around 2007 and 2008. And this, this just goes to show you that there's two sides of real estate, right? You have the equity and the debt. And a great investors are diversified on both sides of this. So when equity was getting clobbered, you know, and, and 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 I'm sure that certain debt debt uh uh instruments were getting clobbered <laughs> alongside with I mean, we're talking about now more the private money than the the bank sure. stuff. Of course the you know, everybody can go and watch the big short and watch movies about, you know, mortgage backed securities and all of the ninja loans and all of the nonsense that was going on there. Um obviously the banks were on the other side of that taking Uh, Getting clobbered, but there was a lot of folks in the
1: private money space that did very, very well during that time. Right? Yeah, absolutely. As long as they kind of stuck to their fundamentals and were, you know, diligent about their underwriting, and you know, I think there's a big shakeup going out right now because (laughs) right now reminds me of 2012 a little bit, at least in at least in our in our space, and. What, what happened over the last eight years was there's institutions that came into this space. Um, in essence, they, you know, they either backed hard money lenders, they're originating loans themselves, uh, you know, lending out significantly cheaper. And it was just a race to the bottom. It was high leverage, high LTV, low rates of return, right? In my mind, it's like, these things don't even make sense, right? Like, the, the and not, not just that the returns don't make sense. It's, you know, you're giving somebody what you think is a 90% LTV deal from A third-party appraiser that has no economic interest in the property, and these numbers are just way inflated. And as markets continue to increase, hey, guess what? Our portfolio is doing great. But then that stopped in October of November of 2022. Uh, The institutional, you know, the, the capital raised, you know, rates raised. A lot of these institutional capitals went away. They couldn't deploy the capital that they needed. And I mean, I get these bailout loans daily. You know, dozens of them daily. Of like, hey. I owe 600 to this particular lender. I still need a hundred grand to finish the work. You know, can you give me a loan? And I'm like, I I can do it, but you're gonna need to bring like $200,000 to the table because it was over, over leveraged. And obviously different markets see different, different things. Um, and that was, it, it was interesting because in 07, I didn't really see that that much because there was no, there's a lot of foreclosure properties, but there wasn't capital backed behind there. So, the deals that we did early on were great not necessarily just because they a lot of these areas 10x in price over the last 15 years but just because like there just there wasn't a lot of capital available we were lending out 15 and 5 some of the deals we would do 100% financing i haven't done 100% financing in probably 6 or 7 years but we did back then on some of them because there was truly like bargain basement properties that you could buy a property for $100,000 put. into it and sell it for like 250 grand. It was, it was crazy. Um, And it was just rinse and repeat. And these borrowers all had 700 credit scores. They all had cash. They were all, they all had experience. There just wasn't a lot of them. Um, And I remember, I always remember this vividly that like, I was like, institutions will never be in this space. There's not enough deals, right? Like we're doing a few deals a month. Some other people are doing a few deals a month. It's like, no one's going to come into this space unless they can deploy a billion dollars. And there's only like a few million dollars that could potentially be deployed. And then all of a sudden, as the markets change and institutions just pour capital into the markets and properties just appreciate every day up and up and up, you know, that's, that's what happened. And time will tell to see how this, whatever situation, if we're in a market cycle, I don't know what we're in right now, but wherever we're currently in right now, how, how that's affected. But I could say that liquidity in the investment, at least in the investment residential and small balance commercial space, which we concentrate in, is very low right now.
0: I want to take a moment to share the most exciting project I've ever worked on, and a project that will be my primary focus in the weeks, months, and years ahead. I've launched the Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind. The Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind is the inner circle of the Cashflow Ninja ecosystem. In our exclusive mastermind, business owners and investors have access to all the strategies, tactics, tools, and community to build and protect wealth in turbulent times and crisis. Join a community of resilient business owners and investors that are building a parallel economy and the future during times of chaos. As a member of the Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind, you will receive a monthly newsletter and video newsletter with Intel business owners and investors need to know, bonus reports, bi-weekly Zoom calls, and a bonus monthly happy hour Zoom call to network within the community. Access to a community social platform to interact with community members. The Cashflow Ninja Rolodex that includes all of our preferred vendors and partners. A Parallel Economy and Members Rolodex. The goal there is for members to do business with each other. Deal flow of our community. Get access to the best deals available from our preferred operators and members as they become available. Educational content that includes how to create a strategy right now and how to create a business right now. You can join the Cashflow Nirvana Mastermind. Go to cashflowandjew.com forward slash nirvana. That's cashflowandjew.com forward slash nirvana. It's interesting because, yeah, to your point, the banks during that time they got clobbered. They were licking their wounds, getting bailouts. out. So the the only liquidity in the market was private money at that stage that you can access to 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 pick up deals if you could get it. You know, a, a lot of people don't remember two thousand and yeah. seven, eight, and nine. You know,
1: we've had one heck of a run. <laughs> since 2012 yeah. to 2022 exactly and i feel for the folks that have gotten in have gotten in this space over the last 10 years because they think that's normal yes. which it's not and although we weren't aggressively lending full time until 07 i mean i owned real estate you know since 02 or 03 um so you know i saw th- those things skyrocket in price come back down helos. You know, get frozen things like that. So, like, I wasn't obviously invested as I am today in the space, but yeah. I I saw it. And you know, a lot of folks are like, yeah, it's no problem. Even if I overpaid for it, even my construction goes over, it'll just sell for more. And that's also, you know, I'm in, you know, between D.C. and Baltimore. So a lot of the stuff we do is in the D.C. area, and a lot of D.C. investors are have always been convinced that you know it's recession proof. We live in the in D.C. Like nothing's ever going to happen. It's like the markets that go up the fastest come down the fastest. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's happening right now.
0: Yeah, and to your point, so a mentor of mine said about 20 years ago when I got into real estate, said told me learn everything you can about debt. Cuz real estate is debt. You know, and if you think about it now, in, in the western world, especially, we are not talking about developing countries where people put down a lot of money or buy houses cash or, you know, Uh, in the Western world, Europe, United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, it's, it's debt. So, and if you, the liquidity stops, which means there's not a lot of debt coming into the market and money, then all of a sudden,
1: you know, the market kind of stalls and then corrects. Yeah, that's right. And, and the, and the one challenge that we had that we were aware of, and and I, and I will say that, you know, I I will, learned a lot from starting when we started and things might've been differently. If I didn't start at that point, if someone gave me a million dollars on day one, or if it was my money on day one, I probably would have screwed that up somehow. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's just cause I wouldn't have been disciplined. I'd be like, ah, this is easy. You just do it this way. So like everything kind of happens for a reason, but the one challenge back then, which, you know, I don't know if we're going to have in this current market, but it was hard to get homeowner loans as well back then. Because banks had kind of stopped lending completely. They're unraveling from a, just an absolute mess. So again, typically it's easy capital in, you know, on the front end, easy capital out on the back end, or harder capital on the front end, harder capital on the back end for a fix and flipper on the residential side. And that's kind of the one thing that we're, we're really paying attention to now is, hey, the deals are really, really good that we, that we're doing loans on. But at the same yeah. time, like, are we adjusting our risk enough knowing that even if there's a 700 credit score borrower that can go full dock, or I'm sorry, even if it's a good borrower on the front that we're lending to, is this home going to be situated in a in an area where they can find a retail buyer that has good credit and a good job in a neighborhood to do so? Yeah, because that's the risk right now is it will banks lend to lend to homeowners, which so far they have been. Interesting. Uh, what
0: type of business models can you share with people uh, exist in the in the private
1: lending space? So there's a lot of different ways to be involved in, in private lending on private lending or hard money. So let's just kind of go through a few. So the way that we do things is, and this is probably, you'll get the biggest bang for your buck, but you're going to be active in it, right? We'll go from like most active to most passive. So the most active would be like, hey, I own a, f- you know, a full-time hard money lending company. Every day I'm out there riding the streets, marketing for opportunities. Um, you know, for deals, and we have investor capital uh, on the back end uh, along with our own capital that that we lend out. We lent out when we started, it was heavy investor capital, low our capital as we've grown, you know we've we've you know kind of have an even match of our capital compared to in, compared to investor capital. But we're actively out there getting deals and doing deals all day long. Typically, we try to achieve close to a twenty percent return on on our money for the most part. You know, we lend out back in the day. 15 and five, it was higher terms. These days we're at like 13 and three. We try to churn the money twice twice a year. It doesn't always happen that way, right? So we're getting the points twice. So 6% on the points, 13% on 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 the return. If there is a capital investor involved, they typically get about 10% on, on these deals. Uh, but that's like the one, that's probably the most active approach to it. You like running a full-time hard money lending company. Uh, on the other side of it is let's say, you know, you're just a capital investor. Like you have, you have money of a few million dollars, and you want to deploy it responsibly. You could go out and actively run your business and try to find deals, right? You don't really need a, a back end investor setup because you already have capital, so you may not have to go raise additional capital. But you can go out and find opportunities, fix and flip borrowers, uh, small balance commercial properties, pretty much. You know, anything that you can educate yourself on or, or assets that you're comfortable with. You can obviously go out and lend directly to uh, you know, to the bar, to the operator who's who's gonna pay you a rate of return. And again, you could do it at a 10 and two, 12 and 2 rate. You could do it at a 13 and three rate. Like however you want, like do whatever you want. I believe that most lenders, private lenders and hard money lenders don't charge enough. Like I think they always want to compete with oh, this guy down the street's 10 and two. Um I don't wanna miss out on the deal. And the reason they do that is they don't have enough opportunities that come in. So every deal that comes in, they're trying to figure out a way to make it work. And then, you know, the borrower is beating them up on price and they're coming down. And the good news is, is there's not much institutional capital out there these days. So you don't really have to compete with that. It's more of just competing with other private lenders and hard money lenders in your town. But from my experience that like, let's say I'm 13 and three and the guy next door is 12 and two, not a huge difference on some of these deals. Whoever has the better relationship is going to win the deal.
0: For um, folks that are not familiar with that ten and two and thirteen yep. and three, can you just
1: explain how that, that Absolutely. works? Absolutely. So so ten so let's say it's thirteen and three. So thirteen percent would be the interest rate. Um, three would be three points. So let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar loan. Um, you lend out a hundred thousand dollars. You get a thirteen percent return annually. So thirteen thousand dollars a year. You know, borrower can either make monthly payments. You can defer monthly payments. However, you set it up. So, in essence, it's you know they're getting thousand and eighty three dollars every month or whatever that comes out to. Um, you know, you're they're paying you a thousand eighty three dollars every month plus typically a one time fee in the terms of points on the front end to originate the loan. So maybe three thousand dollars, which is the, which equates to the three percent. And as the lender, you charge what you want, right? You figure out kind of what what works. I will say that. If there's one downfall of this business model, it's the way that it's taxed, and it's taxed as interest income. Yep. So if you're in a high tax bracket, <laughs> you know a 10 percent return might only have an effective return of five or six. So all of a sudden, especially where we're at right now, that's not as attractive because uh, right. there's still risk. Even if, like I believe, debt's the safest position to be in. Um, on, on deals, you know, typically we're lending 65% of the value of the property, right? So $65,000 loan, there's $35,000 in equity in the deal. So I believe that we're, as long as they're underwritten correctly, that that we're in a safest spot, but in essence, there's still risk. Yeah. The risk
0: is, let's just use that example, right? That um, $100,000 property was at $65,000 loan that you gave. So let's just say that yep. defaults, you get that property, And let's just even say the market corrects. Let's let's make it a perfect storm. There's a default and there's a thirty percent plus percent correction. So you're getting you're getting that property which is now you know seventy worth seventy thousand. You're getting that for sixty five, and you can you know obviously resell that or you know have have someone uh, uh, sure you know buy that
1: from that. Is that is that a way to look at some of the risk? Yeah, I mean, in that price point. All that equity gets eaten up if you in a default between attorney fees and you know being responsible for property taxes and and if a borrower really walks away from it. So mm-hmm. typically the lower the lower property price deals, like the lower loan amounts typically have a little bit more risk because you know whenever there's a default, you typically are a lot of these are flat costs, right? You might pay five thousand dollars for a foreclosure you know for a foreclosure attorney. That's 5,000 bucks if it's a $50,000 loan or a million dollar loan, right? Right. So the the way I like to kind of present it is think about it like this. So let's say you do that scenario. You do a $65,000 loan on a $100,000 asset. The most you're ever going to have is $35,000 in equity. You have 35%, right? We still have $35,000 in equity. Now let's say you do a $195,000 loan on a $300,000 asset, Right, you still have thirty five percent equity, but you have one hundred and five thousand dollars, or thirty five percent equity, but you have one hundred and five thousand dollars in equity. So, we've always felt that that's kind of the the sweet spot. You know, you want you know about eighty to one hundred thousand dollars in actual cash equity, because when a, when a property defaults, like like really bad, it defaults uh you know if there's deferred maintenance you might have to come in and and fix construction so as a company we've realized the deals we've typically had the most risks on and the deals that we've had the most issues with were uh you know the 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 smaller valued properties but yes in essence that that is correct and most deals in this space if underwriting correctly even if they default chances are you're not going to take the property back meaning but you'll still get paid off meaning that like you know let's say you know you buy a property for $100,000 and it needs $50,000 in work and it's going to be worth whatever 230 and the lender makes you bring 40 grand to the table right like you're not you know and you have real skin in the deal like you're not just giving up equity you're giving up your own personal cash that you're trying to recoup so there's obviously lots of deals in the past that have that these uh, clients potentially didn't make any money on, but they didn't walk away from it because they want to recoup their own funds <laughs> that they right. have in it, so cat you know cash is king, and like we typically you know we 're not doing hundred percent financing and stuff we're We're typically requiring the borrowers to at least bring twenty percent down plus closing costs. We want them to be vested because back in the day, I think this type of lending was like a loan to own play where it's hey i 'll just lend what i am comfortable buying this property for today it's more and, and our business model is we just want to lend to good borrowers. That can perform, pay us off, like, and recycle that money over and over and over and over. And I th- and I and I truly believe that's the right way to uh, run a lending company yourself. I wouldn't look at this as, hey, I could acquire this property that's worth two hundred. I could acquire it for hundred grand because you're not going to acquire it at hundred grand. And in order to do so, it's going to be a headache. <laughs> yep.
0: I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. At the Real Asset Investor, Dave and his team bring their investors high yield investment opportunities across several asset classes for cash flow, tax impact, and equity growth. He and his team are one of the top five ATM operators in the country. And they have an investment opportunity available to accredited investors right now in the ATM space. To learn more about their ATM funds that produce tax-free cash flow, visit therealassetinvestor.com. Lots of lessons here in what you just shared for everybody listening and watching this. Because... You need to be very, very clear about your business model and very, very clear of, again, who, where you're playing in the market. You know, we've, we've talked about before on the show that, you know, there's Nordstrom, Target and Walmart. Those are different customers or clients with different wants and needs, right? You know, they all sell shirts, but I guarantee you the person that's buying a shirt from Nordstrom, they have different wants and needs than a person that's buying it from Walmart. And vice versa, nothing wrong with any one of those levels. You have to figure it out and you have to figure out the risk that's involved in 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 those levels. So what you what you were just sharing, too, is, you know, um, you prefer to have there's equity and it, and these are investors that are bringing capital to the table. So it makes it very, very hard for them to just walk away from this, where if it was just an owner occupied or, you know, so someone that that you lend to, they're going to yeah, they'll. They'll get the loan, they'll, they're in the property, but they don't have much skin in the game other than maybe the down payment that they had on the loan,
1: right? That's right. And all, and also, besides licensing requirements and not being able to charge what you wanted on a, on a homeowner, I wouldn't recommend doing homeowner stuff. But yeah. um, but besides, even if you can legally do a homeowner loan and charge what you really want to charge, they still have that emotional attachment to the property Unlike an investor does. Investors, they just want to make money. They're not tied to these deals. They don't really give a crap. Like yeah. they want to get their money out and they want to move on. If you're if there's a homeowner that potentially is living in the property or if it was a family property or something like that, they're emotionally attached to the property. They don't want to they don't want to move. Yeah. You, you get yourself and 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 in essence, like we're B2B. Like I'm dealing with sophisticated real estate investors. They're businesses that I'm lending to and that, you know, we're partnering with on these deals. I'm not, it's not B2C. So it's it's something to think about. I mean, I have all the time, especially in markets right now, I've got, you know, folks in our mastermind group that will reach out to me and be like, hey, I got this really good opportunity, but it's a primary residence. You know, they it's free and clear and it's worth 300 grand. They only need 50 grand. And I'm like, punt, like you, punt. I mean, besides you probably legally not being able to do that loan, you're going to have issues on that thing. Like they, they couldn't get a bank loan right now. How are they going to get a bank loan later to pay you off? right? If you want to be a short-term short term deal, um, you know, what happens if, you know, they they stop paying and you got to, you know, do you want to foreclose on a happy homeowner? You got to go through that that side too. So, I mean, these are business transactions. I mean, deals that have defaulted on our end, you know, we can have real conversations with the investor and be like, hey, what's your game plan? What do you want to do? And it's like, hey, you know, can you just not charge me payments for the next three months? You know, instead of me making the monthly payments, I'll use it to finish the construction job and then I'll get it on the market. Right. Like you can have business conversations with them. So I think that's kind of an important.
0: Yep. A- ab- absolutely. Yeah. So um, you talked about one of the uh, one of the other negatives for our investors is, you know, no tax benefits. Right. What are some of the? Because we talked about obviously a lot of pros where this is great from diversification, cash flow, active or passive. There's a lot of risk management strategies. We've touched on some of the cons. You know yep. what happens if this thing goes <laughs> the wrong way um, and not not follow through. Tax what a uh, tax you know taxable income is, is is another another con. What are some other things that people should be thinking about from a con? Uh, standpoint, uh, if they look at private lending or hard money,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't want to scare folks in, in this, um, but I'd like to be transparent and honest that you know anybody can do it. It's like not brain surgery, right? Like I have to go and get a doctorate and <laughs> and study how to do this. But like, I feel like everyone wants to take the easy way out on some of these things, and I think that gets them in trouble. Like, hey, this is a nice guy. You know, he's friends with this other real estate investor I know. He doesn't have all the money right now, but you know to do it, and I'm willing to just lend a higher LTV, right? Things like that. and and hard money lenders are a little bit better about uh, running a proper operation than I think one-off private investors. But like private lenders typically don't have that many opportunities. So they jump in the first opportunity that that they get. And they're like, you know they're like, hey, I'm gonna you know, they get blinded by the high rate of return that they can get on their investment. And they overlook the risks of, hey, like, you're giving this guy too high of a leverage. You don't even know what the real value of the property is. You don't know if this guy can manage an $80,000 construction project. You didn't even pull credit, so you don't even know if he has good credit. Like, they're just not following – they're not thinking like an underwriter. They're just thinking as like, hey, this is – to them, it's like, hey – um, I'm just going to go stick my money and buy this stock, right? And not even think about it, right? Like they're they're not underwriting as investment. I mean, we do 250, 300 loans a year and every single one is an investment. It's a new asset that we're investing in every single time. And we're underwriting the crap out of it. And it took us thousands and thousands of leads to get that. And one of the things that I kind of joke about, but it's true is I get about, you know, we, we go through over a thousand inquiries, leads, whatever a month in order to close about 20 of them and 20 or 25 and whatever it is. And most of the borrowers we lend to are repeat borrowers over and over. So the, the numbers are even less than that. But like, I think I have an advantage to be able to do better deals than a private lender who talks to two people at a local meetup group and chooses which one he wants to lend to over the other one. Right. And again, like, My point is, if you're serious about doing this type of stuff and trying to get a higher return by actively doing this yourself, find deals, find opportunities, meet lots of people. You know, everybody's going to do the best deal that they can, right? Like MC, if you're presented with an opportunity to invest in some sort of deal, uh, and let's say you have five deals that come across your plate, like you're going to invest in that best deal. If you have 50 deals that that come in front of you this month, guess what? You're probably going to have a better deal. Than yeah. last month, because last month, you only had five deals. And that's the part that I think a lot of folks don't understand or don't want to do. They don't want to put in the heavy lifting to try to find opportunities and to market for opportunities. And like, I don't know, like they, they joke like, yeah, marketing's not for me. You know, I don't want to mess with that. Uh, like it's, it's I, I just want to keep it easy. And it's like, that's fine. Your investments just aren't going to be as strong as the next person's. And if that's the decision that that's the decision that you want to make, that's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's no there's no shortcuts here, as with any other asset class. There's no easy you know, way of doing things, especially if you're just going to if you're going to pursue this actively. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that's not to say that you can't get a good deal here and there. You absolutely can. You know, that leads me to one of the other ways to invest. You can invest with other with other operators on yep. the, on these particular deals, right? Like depending on, you know, what state you're in and it, you know, I would recommend investing with somebody locally and not out of state, you know, if, like if you're yep. in Ohio, I wouldn't invest with somebody in California that lends in Ohio. I would invest with somebody who is in Ohio that knows the local assets that you can go communicate with and you can go look at the assets if you want want yourself. And typically you probably achieve anywhere between an 8 and a 10% return doing it doing it that way and I would say that's way more of a passive investment. Um but I do think you should still be diligent on the deals that you're underwriting and reviewing to determine if it's strong. The good news is by doing it that way, you know, let another company vet all these deals and bring you the best of the best of the best. So I would say that's probably the most passive approach to to this space. And again, it just depends what, you know, you want to do. You know, my partner Chris and I have worked with with, with a bunch of folks that I would say are pretty high net worth and they have a lot of capital that they want to deploy. And they're like, Hey, will you help me deploy deploy this? And I'm like, I can show you how to deploy this responsibly to to achieve the returns you want. But like, you gotta be able to do the hard, you know, the hard work yourself or you got to throw money at somebody in your operation or a partner or a kid or somebody to help you do these things. If not, you're better off going back to the company you were working with before and letting them pay you. Eight, 10 percent. If you want to achieve a higher rate of return, you got you got to be active. You got to find the opportunities yourself. Some of them will fall in your lap, no doubt. But that only goes so far.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The saying is what the sun shines on the dogs behind (laughs) once a while. But that's not a strategy. Um, so, uh, <laughs> no yeah, so you, you're going you're gonna to have to put, put the grind in um, if, you, if you're going to do it yourself. What states do
1: you operate in currently? So we, so our lending operation, so I'm in D.C. and I have an office in Philadelphia as well, so we pretty much handle anywhere between Northern Virginia to Northern New Jersey. So D.C., Maryland, Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware. Those are and- that's like our footprint. And then
0: you have a mastermind, the hard money mastermind, which is connected, um, just hard money and private lenders all across the United States, right? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's
1: an interest. That's it, an interesting uh, group that kind of evolved. I mean, f- interesting story over over the years, but you know, there's not that much education on this particular topic to be to begin with, and. You know, we've, we'd always constantly get deals in different markets. We'd have capital investors in different markets that wanted to deploy money. We we haven't raised capital inside our business since year five, I would say. You know, so we haven't raised new money for, for years. But anyways, we'd always, hey, I've got capital. Hey, I've got deals. I want to learn stuff. So a few years ago, we created the Hard Money Mastermind. We got about 600 or so... Private lenders were pretty good about scrubbing the group to make sure it's somebody that's serious. Like, the last thing I want is someone to enter that group and be like, hey, I need $100,000 to do a fix and flip. Wrong group for you, right? Like, this is folks that fall into kind of two buckets. Either they have capital and they want to learn how to deploy it responsibly, or they want to learn how to grow their own hard money lending company and raise capital themselves, maybe deploy their their own capital. So it's been kind of a good group and it's evolved kind of over the years. And I was surprised how many people were really interested in it. And we have a YouTube channel and a podcast called the private lenders podcast. And I think that was indirectly, we didn't even really do any marketing and promotion for it. That was just indirectly the front door where people learn that. And they're like, Hey, how can I be involved and learn more and, you know, meet other people like that. And it's turned into a, a cool little group over the last few years.
0: Yeah. No, no, absolutely. It's been fun just to learn more about it and see, see what you're up to in, in, in that aspect of the business. I want to recognize one of our sponsors, Penumbra Solutions. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint, followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments, Penumbra Solutions, at Cashloninja.com forward slash life settlements. That's Cashloninja.com forward Forward slash life settlements. One of the the habits I've observed from wealthy and successful people—they're always studying, they're always learning—and I know that you're a lifelong learner too. What are you studying these days, and and what are you uh, what are you learning about?
1: <laughs> Everything. Uh, it 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 that it goes back and forth from. I mean, so every day. So I typically. The biggest thing in my morning routine is reading that I do. And I read when I, I listen, I should say audiobooks. I I I walk, uh, I should say I roam around my neighborhood endlessly because when I'm in a good book or a good podcast, like you just, you know, how it goes, you just black out. And next thing you know, it's an hour later. And you're like, oh, where am I type of thing. So that typically happens seven days a week. You know, that's like the first thing I do in, in the morning. And that's when I get all of my, for the most part, a lot of my education in either through podcasts or through or through books. I'll, I'll, you know, I go back and forth, you know, sometimes it's like, Hey, I really, you know, I, I want to listen to this whole book and I'll I'll do it from start to finish. Then I'll do some podcast episodes, <sighs> you know, and it's hard because I teeter through like a lot of marketing stuff. You know, I was in Russell Brunson's mastermind group at ClickFunnels uh, early on. So I was infatuated with like, and he has endless content related to marketing. So I listened to a lot of that lately. I've been listening to a lot of hermosi Alex Hermosi stuff, and he was in that group early on with us as well. But his content's just spectacular on the marketing side, like business and marketing side. Um, you know, last what earlier this year, I set up my first infinite banking uh, whole life insurance policy. Thank you. Uh, that that was good, and that was that was something that I read about for the last three years, and then but didn't I? You know, I was eighty percent, I would say. And then the whole month of December, November and December, I was just hooked. I read every Nelson book. I listened to every podcast. Like, So so I get like in these, probably like you do too, like I get like, I go all in and just read everything I can on a certain topic. My current thing I'm infatuated with is creating internally my own little like agency of um, outsource employees. Because like, you know, I've got, you know, we, we, Chris and my partner, Chris and I have done almost everything inside our business, you know, run Google ads, run Facebook ads, uh, copyright in our email stuff, like a lot of that stuff. And I've always felt like there's a better way to do so. So like on this note card that you can't really see is like this agency that I've created and I've, and I've hired three times, you know, three full-time video editors, some, some content posters, some web designers, things like that. So that's kind of what I'm, infatuated with so like moving forward as I continue to do content and do stuff inside our business I can just here run with this here's my idea here's my brain dump because what I do is I I come up with ideas I brain dump and then I typically execute everything myself yeah So I'm trying to figure out a way to outsource that a little bit <laughs> so that's what I've been that's what I've been masterminding over the last few weeks awesome
0: awesome now the show is Obviously a lot about business, investing, and cash flow being the cash flow ninja podcast. But we talk about legacy and leaving a legacy. And one of the things that I always ask folks is if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and you are only allowed to pass down three principles and, and values to them um, to help them build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what, what would that be?
1: I mean, I I would say I would say, th- I would say three. I would say three well, three things like you asked. So I would figure out a way to determine where they would want to be at a later in life. Like be like, Hey, listen, any goal that you make, a goal is a dream, right? Any goal that you write down will become reality. It always does. Um, And it's, it it just does. Like that's what we followed inside our business and everything we put on paper has, has, has come to reality. So I'm like dream, you know, 70 years from now or whatever it is, 40 years from now, figure out where you want to be and then work backwards, work backwards, Every day in order in order to hit that, and you'll hit that dream in uh, several years that you think will take fifty years to do that. So I think if like l- teaching goal setting and how to do it and reminding yourself and write it on a piece of paper and you know hanging on your wall, however you want to do it. So like I think that I think that's a good one. Um, I, obviously, like learning sales and uh, and converting and things like that's important, but I truly believe that like marketing is the most important. And I see that inside our business, like close to 90% of our days are spent on just, you know, marketing campaigns, figuring out ways to get our phones ringing, our emails coming in. Like, I believe that our business is where it's at because like we we're devoted to finding new opportunities every day, all day long. And to some people that seems like a drag, but to me, it's like, I want the best of the best of the best of the best of the best deals. This is the only way I'm going to do it. And people ask yep. me the questions. If you if you started over, what would you what would you do different? I was like, I would have started marketing even more and more and more and more and more. Any way you can do it, and you don't need any money to do that either. You can. There's a lot of free free ways to do that. You can you know go to go to groups, go to events. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, that's two. I don't remember my third one. I was thinking, <laughs> what was the question again? What would I leave? Yeah, it's,
0: uh, principles and and values. <laughs> Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think kind of being transparent, honest and transparent is, is important across, you know, anytime somebody lies, you're going to get caught, right? So be transparent on the front end. You know, we, we learned that the right way. I don't want to say the hard way because it wasn't hard, but we learned that the right way inside of our business, because our, our lending business was built on raising capital right through capital investors i don't think there's one capital investor that has left us from the beginning right so it's been the same group over and over and over and over and over and everything we have access to they have access to right they are, uh in inside our business they we we have uh thought, you know google google drive folders and things like that and i think transparency is important on that and we kind of joke that, hey, wouldn't it have just been easier if this was just self-funded? Like 50% of our day of our job w- wouldn't have to exist. Like we're doing things right now that people are like, well, why would you do that? Be like, like, why would you order, you know, a third party valuation? You don't need that. You know, the value of the property, you're right. But guess what? I still have a capital investor involved and I want to be as transparent and open with them that I can on all of this. And I think if if somebody thinks about things as being transparent and honest and an open book. And even when you're on social media, you know, yep. just be you. Like, I think that goes a long way with people. And guess what? Like when we started, we're like, Hey, I think we got to wear suits and things like that to go attract capital and things like that. I mean, I wear HMB gear every day for the last, you know, a hard money bankers clothes every day. Like that's just who I am. Um, and I, th- I think that's kind of important to identify not who you're trying to impress or target, but who you are, knowing that they're going to like your authenticity. Absolutely, I
0: couldn't I couldn't agree more, and that's currency in today's environment because there's so much yeah. fluff, so much nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I like I I, I had a a rant the other day in one of my newsletters uh, for, for my mastermind members where I'm like, just remember, everything is fake, right? Fake money, you know, and, and I, and I went through all the list of fakes and I went even to like most of the stuff you see on social media is fake too. There's very few that's just authentic, just real and people guess what? Know that they can figure that out. People know that. So authenticity, keep it real.
1: It's a currency. It's Yeah. And I think that, I think that's going to be challenging for younger generations related to like, Hey, you realize you're only seeing like the 1% of the good things that's happening to these people on Instagram, right? Like you're not seeing the hard work and everything else that was done behind the scenes and all the other crap that they're going through. And yep, like, and that's, that's hard because it's like, Hey, this person has these, New Jordans or this person has this car or they're rich cause they got this car. And it's just like, that's uh that's a different conversation, obviously. But yeah, the financial statements <laughs> look completely different yeah. uh,
0: in the, yeah. on the and,
1: inside than what it looks like and, on the outside. Yeah. And, you know, knowing enough people and doing lots of deals and looking at a lot of opportunities, like I can tell you a lot of folks aren't as shiny uh, behind the scenes as they might present, you know, they might be presented to. So That, yeah, that goes a long way.
0: Absolutely. This has been a blast, my friend. Where can my listeners and viewers uh, get in touch with you? Where can they follow you? Where can they learn more about you and and stay informed of
1: all the many things you're involved with? Yeah, absolutely. So anything hard money bankers, You'll typically typically find us, you know, Hard Money Bankers, that's our lending company. We lend fix and flips, small balance commercial. We actually do small balance commercial properties throughout the country, just uh fix and flips and investment residential stuff in our in our local markets. So that's our main company, Hard Money Bankers. If you're a uh, you know, capital invest a private lender or somebody who's trying to be a private lender or something, go to hardmoneymastermind.com. That's a really, really good group of of folks and uh, you know, you can, there's lots of free education in inside that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and share
0: sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners and my viewers. MC, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you to you, the listener and the viewer, for spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with me, everything Cashflow Ninja, is guess where? Cashloanengine.com, Cashloanengine.com, and don't forget to sign up for uh, the Cash Loan Mastermind, my inner circle. If you're a business owner and an investor looking to protect and build wealth during turbulent times, and uh, these turbulent times are here, and they're they're getting uh, more more turbulent by the day. So that's at Cashloanengine.com. Forward slash nirvana, that's cashflowninja.com forward slash nirvana. Until next time, live infinitely. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals. And you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.